Okay, so welcome back everyone to another roundtable, back by popular demand actually. Um, this is my first one for quite some months now, um, but I know you, you Dave, have been holding the fort in, in my absence, keeping the flame of tradition alive. Um, I feel like we're a bit like... Uh, like the Night's Watch from Game of Thrones at this point. If we don't don't keep the round tables going, something terrible will befall all of humanity. The now UK our work is ended. <laughs> yeah. We'll be overrun by uh, wildlings from <laughs> north of the wall. Andy <laughs> McGrillen will raise oh. a rabble and storm oh, the gates. Uh, well, that's right. Yeah, a bit of a rabble, definitely. <laughs> I see McGrillen at the end of a rabble. He looks yeah. like a bit of a, one of the rabble rousers at the moment, I reckon. Not that I want to talk, I must say. I must say yeah. He's yeah. sporting a fine beard, isn't he, these days? I right. know, yeah, that, that's it, yeah. The, the Scottish genetics, you see, beards like that. That's yeah, how they yeah. do it. i tell you what, though, Frank, we did keep it going in your absence. We did miss you, though. We didn't quite have your Sergeant Major-like skills on the time management and all the rest of it. So <laughs> he's a bit more a bohemian than uh, when you were involved, I must say. So glad, no. glad, I'm glad you're back, and I'm glad to be back doing one with you, mate. Yeah, that's it. Well, just um, to manage expectations for the listeners as well, it's a very small roundtable today, as in it's just me and Dave, <laughs> unfortunately, um, or fortunately, depending on how you look at things, I suppose. But um, but uh, yeah, Ash, Ash is uh, unable to make it, unfortunately, tonight. Um, had some urgent issues to attend to, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, I, th- I think everything's all right from what he was saying. Nothing uh, too bad, but uh, he can't make it. And uh, I think Greg's having a bit of a... Uh, hiatus at the minute as well so um it's just going to be a very small two-person round table but i thought we'd we'd keep it going in the format that we usually do um just to kind of get that ball rolling again and hopefully we'll be seeing ash and greg uh back again next time and as usual get, get a few other people to join us uh now and again as well so, uh, yeah, good to hear that everything went well whilst I've not been doing roundtables, though. And uh, let's get stuck into some bits and bobs that have been happening recently then. Talks. So, yeah, um, a few of these are going to be things that um, I was talking about on the episode that I did uh, last week. But it'd be good to get, you know, some discussion going on it with yourself, Dave, and, and get your thoughts on some of these as well. So, obviously, the Arrow report... Uh, which came out recently. So Arrow, the all-domain anomaly resolution office, has released another report, which I think no one's really overly thrilled about when we hear these things coming out these days um, compared to what we were initially when these th- these types of things started happening. Um, so there really wasn't that much to say other than kind of more of the same. As, as the previous reports, really. It's kind of minimising language and buried away in there. There's a few little interesting bits and pieces, um, but it does seem like the language is kind of deliberately crafted to kind of make it out that there's nothing to see here. Um, the interesting kind of sentences were, uh, quote, UAP have potentially exhibited concerning performance characteristics such as high-speed travel or unusual manoeuvrability. Arrow has deconflicted these cases with potential US programs. None of these UAP reports have been positively attributed to foreign activities, unquote. So that's about it, really. 
I was saying on the pod that I did last week, there was a, a striking similarity with a, a lot of that language to and, and recent language in general um, around this topic as to what we said back in the 50s and even sort of before that, which is a small percentage are interested in, the rest aren't. And the question really is, why are we not hearing more about the small percentage of interesting cases? I, obviously, that's what we all want to know about. And, you know, not just people who are interested in the UFO topic as well, but, you know, the wider public as well. I think a lot of people sort of switch off because they know they're not going to get any information, you know. And if I, th- I think there would be a lot more interest, you know, across the mainstream you know, if people actually thought there was a hope that we'd get any answers. I, I've had a few discussions with people about this kind of thing, you know, sometimes talk to people and don't necessarily let on that I have a, you know, a a podcast about UFOs and stuff. And when I mention it to people, they're just like, oh yeah, well, I'm not going to hear about that in my lifetime. We're not going to get any answers while I'm on this planet and stuff. So it's kind of, you know, and and that seems like that, that kind of thing is being deliberately maintained to an extent. You know, we've been hearing all the way back in the fifties that there are small percentages that are really interesting and still hearing the same things now. You know, it can be a bit disheartening, I suppose. But then again, you know, we have been seeing pretty significant progress in other areas as well recently. Um, and I think the thing that, that makes it even more frustrating is that seeming seeming willingness to actually release footage from jets and things like that and drones and whatnot that can be done in a way that doesn't reveal sources and methods, you know, at least in some cases, and we've seen like crystal clear HD footage from drones and things, you know, with these near misses with Chinese jets or Russian jets and things like that. And and why is it not possible to do that for a, a UAP incident? I get that you can't do that with all of them because there might be certain, you know, considerations, uh, you know, with with some of the cases why you can't do that might be perfectly legitimate, but it's clear that it's possible to do it sometimes. And there's a small percentage of cases are really interesting, but when you think about the volume of reports, that's a fair few. You know, there's got to be a couple in there that are interesting, but it's, it's telling, I think, that when these kind of, you know, reports come out or when there's a hearing and they choose footage, they clearly seem to be showing like the worst footage that you could possibly think of. You know, we've heard so many reports about very compelling footage and cases and so on. It's quite telling that they reveal the ones that are real duffers kind of thing. But other than that, um, not a great deal to, to write home about in the report. Um, there are a few interesting items in the in the glossary, actually. How wild is that? I'm getting excited about a glossary more than anything in the thing itself. I, I, I kind of uh, picked up on this after you'd mentioned it to me, Dave. Uh, I don't know if there might be a few bits that you want to add on that, um, but there's a couple of things that uh, like the, the classifications of, of different phrases and things and um, you know, space-born UAP uh, sources of anomalous detections above the Kármán line which is 100 kilometres above Earth's mean sea level. Not something I was aware of that, actually, until I read no. this, but the Kármán line, apparently that's what that's what makes something classed as actually in space, um, at least according to their, their definition of it. Airborne UAP is sources of anomalous detections between Earth's mean sea level and the Kármán line, so anything above that mean sea level and all the way up to the line is, is what you would call airborne and seaborne UAP is sources of anomalous detections at or below earth's mean sea level uh, within a body of water. 
and uh, transmedium UAP sources of anomalous detections that transmit more than one domain. So, again, as I say, it's it's a sad state of affairs when the glossary is the most interesting part of a document, isn't it? But there we are. So what are your thoughts on all that then, Dave? Well, Frank, can I just say congratulations on skewering most of my main quotes there in the introduction? <laughs> you've, you've done your best ever of doing in me entire quote. <laughs> no, I'm fine. Just on that, <laughs> I've still got enough to say, believe me. But anyway, uh, just on that first point about, and we talked about this a few podcast episodes ago maybe nearly a year ago or maybe not that long but it's about people wanting to believe and i don't think people are stupid uh, i think people a lot of people do know there's so much of this but they don't really want to talk or take it on board of what it might think so in order to prove it to them it's going to have to be a pretty big bar of proof and i think until we have that they're not going to believe it and i think people like uh Kirkpatrick and the DOD sort of uh, rely on that. I mean, this report is getting worse. It's like he's trying to bore us to death, just ignored all the other evidence come out. I mean, I couldn't decide, I think I said this on Twitter, if Dr. K was sort of giving the finger to Congress or he was writing his resignation letter or both. I mean, I thought, what's he doing here? This is terrible. I mean, the best bit was the one paragraph you read out, and that was in the executive summary. And then it went going downhill from there. Normally, the executive summary is just a taster and the meaty stuff's in the report. Not here. It was worse. I mean, it was totally unjustifiable use of the low information zone explanations. And, oh, it's still a bit. And there was, yeah, there was still quite a big increase in the sightings. He was hinting at foreign tech in dodgy language, which was really misleading how, how he uh, wrote it. He included foreign tech saying there was no hint of foreign tech in all these sightings in a way that implied it was really foreign tech, if only did know. So it was all the same tricks sort of exaggerated. So this was even worse than these other reports. I mean, it, again, it's just focused on sightings, nothing else. You know, what about all the other areas? When the initial act was passed, this report is based on the UAP task force format. But when that act was passed, the first one, it was supposed to be an, an annual thing of all the evidence they gathered about UAP. Not just this, but this has just turned into a very narrowly focused report thing. And it's all from 2019. And if you read it, he makes these sweeping statements. But you've got to remember, they're just going back to 2019 from a very limited reports pool. And we've still got 802 sightings, I think it was. Uh, and it, so you've got now people clinging on to little scraps, you know, like the increased tracking ability uh, and capability, like we haven't got that already and he can't access it and the people are already using it, you know, which is another really irritating. And he's talked post-report of declassification, maybe. I'm, I'm not holding my breath for that either. I think Chris Mellon mentioned that. Then in classic fashion, he went to CNN, didn't he? Get ahead of this sort of appalling report, spin its contents. Uh, I mean, it's part of the old DOD two-pace repositioning exercise, as usual. So very irritating. So I thought it was still the massive contradiction between this sort of DOD low-info zone, sort of denial cobblers, really, as I would say, to use the technical term, since we're on the, on the watch. And uh, the, the ICIG verified testimony from the whistleblowers and the wording of the UAP Disclosure Act. So again, how long can it carry on? And, and I think he's becoming almost emblematic, as I said before, Sean Kirkpatrick, of how long the DLD can keep up this line, you know, despite what's thrown at him. I mean, there was also strong rumours from Matt Ford 
But Kirkpatrick uh, of the Good Trouble Show, but Kirkpatrick has set up a secret special advisory group. Uh, this is secret to the main one that is advertised. I think it's called the SAG group or something. It might be, anyway, it was a secret we're not known about. Filled with people from the legacy programs who are like advising him on what to say and what not to say. I mean, apparently, when the Congress, uh, when people from Congress asked him who these people were to name them, he refused and they had to get it through another information request. But to me, this moves Kirkpatrick from a, a sort of useful idiot who depict because he doesn't believe in any of it to a real active participant in the DOD cover-up, you know, the obfuscation. And it sort of explains to me what we've been pointing out, his foot-dragging, his lack of evidence collection, and just this appallingly unfit, fit-for-purpose methodology. Uh, I'm glad you didn't shoot me final, Fox, though, Frank, because one interesting thing was the language that was in the glossary, which you said, I mean, it details loads of things about the craft phenomenon, Lang but the real killer one for me was not no pun intended the language about different ways to bring him down i mean this one i'll just quote it here because this is one quote that i've got left eg uap engagement and that's the title uap engagement bringing down uap under kinetic or non-kinetic fire to deny disrupt or destroy the phenomenon and its objects i mean there's nowhere is that mentioned in that report we I read. I've read it again just you know this evening just before we come on air. And it what what's that all about? I mean that's pretty mega that isn't it? Kinetic action, non I presume kinetic some sort of directed I think it's actually a missile or a shell. And I think a non kinetic can include a rail gun or a plasma or something like that. All those things that we've talked about and it was brought up in loose threats. So that is absolutely Man, I mean, it was very incongruous, and it sort of didn't fit with the rest of the tone of the report. And I wonder, has some cack-handed idiot left things in that referred to things in the classified report? Is that what happened? Because hard as that is to believe, it's easier to believe that than Dr. K has suddenly left us these great Easter eggs when he's not given us anything in the report. Unless, of course, he wanted to put it in in case the truth comes out and he says, oh, I was secretly trying to tell you all along. You know, but uh, there are rumours he's on his way out, but I've not seen any evidence of it yet. Uh, so it may be his last hurrah. Apparently, he plans to do a stage event called In Search of Clarity. I think that's what it's called. What a title that is, In Search of Clarity. Well, good luck with that. And he's doing it on stage with a New York Times journal who turned down the Stamba Grush story. And I'm sure he's not bitter and twisted in the slightest, is he? But anyway, uh, and that's two days just before the Soul Foundation event, which we might talk about later, where all the great and good of the inaugural event with Dave Grush is the chair and all the great and good of the UFO community speaking. That's going to be a big event. Some people think it's very important. So if he thinks he's going to upstage that, he probably is as incompetent as he appears to be. So I think what he shows this report is we're still in the grips of this behind-the-scenes tussle. and. I think the UAP Disclosure Act is sort of designed to bring some order to it. The Biden administration are sort of desperately land, trying to land this runaway plane before the sort of whistleblower wind, as it were, I'm feeling quite poetic here, uh, sort of uh, blows the plane and it crashes and it blows up in the faces. I think too many blows in that sentence there. But anyway, the point is, I think that that's why, and I think we made the point in our last thing of, it's all going to hinge upon what happens with this legislation. So I thought it was, as you probably gathered, I thought it was the worst yet 
And I just thought it was uh, just in the face of all the reality and evidence we've heard. And I was amazed he got away with it and had the cheek to do it. Yeah, it's. Um, I, th- I think uh, Chris Mellon did his usual uh, article kind of rebuttal <laughs> questioning of questioning <laughs> of the of the methods and things like that. And um, I feel for Chris Mellon; he must be banging his head against a brick wall at this point. I mean, he's been he's been shouting about the specific systems that they should use to find evidence and what kind of cases they should look for and all the rest of it. And I've actually just got the reported UAP altitudes uh, page open from the report here. I'm just looking at it as you were talking there um and it goes all the way up to um i can't really read it too well i think it says 60k 55 and 60k was the main one money i think i seem to remember yeah it's quite pixelated let me just zoom in a bit yeah pretty sure it says 60k um but they could work on the resolution of the graphics in the report as well that's another thing but um they basically they've only got 1.4 percent of sightings up at that 60k and then nothing above that and there's zero percent of the 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 reported um uap cases were at 55k and then they've got 1.4 percent high up there at 60k um, and then beyond that, nothing. So actually what Chris Mellon has been talking about is that thing of anything that's been picked up on a sensor system having come from come from space. And according to that definition I said earlier on, that would be above that 100K line. So it's pretty clear that they've had nothing reported, probably because they've not actually got access to the relevant sensor systems they would even need to see anything up there in that particular range, which is very frustrating because those are the specific types of cases that you'd be able to definitively say, you know, are truly anomalous, the really, really interesting cases, the ones that prove that this is really not going to be likely to be any kind of earthly adversary and um yeah the, the question marks there around what they've actually got access to in terms of sensor systems uh still still remains you know you know what frank i wouldn't be surprised i was reading it again and i was thinking i wouldn't be surprised if they're wholly going off reports that people are sending them you know on them little things the pilots have got to fill out but they brought in in 2019 I won't because I don't think they're asking for any stuff. They're obviously not getting any other stuff from the Air Force or from this. It says about the Space Force and the Navy and this. Not, I'm not, they shouldn't blame the Navy because obviously the Navy pilots are doing, but they're talking maritime events. So I won't be surprised if this is just going off that little report in pro forma they must be giving out to pilots. And that's it because that's what it seems like. Uh, I, anyway, yeah, I, I, that, that's what I read that to be. And, you know, it's just like a, they don't look for anything else, and it's no surprise that those where they see them because that's where most of the traffic is, the flight traffic. You know, there's no other sensors going, just eyewitness stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at that map as well, it clearly, it clearly sort of you know makes out that it's that it's you know North America essentially, the continental United States, and then the Middle East. And you know that's that's pretty much their main areas of, of operation in terms of the military, isn't it? So it all stands to reason. Yeah. And um, but yeah, it's it's you know we we should be demanding a bit more detail, and we should be demanding detail on the specific things that we actually are informed about, that we know where they should be looking, why they're not looking in those areas, you know, why they're not really pushing for every every single. Um, you know, highly capable sensor system that they can get their hands on in terms of getting the data. Um, but at the moment, that's about all we're getting. So safe to say, I'm not exactly no. 
you know, hotly anticipating the next one. <laughs> it's just a case of we'll see what happens. It's like um, that. Sh- it's like that Shaggy song, isn't it? You know, it wasn't me, but I saw you, and it wasn't me. Or in this case, what about this? It wasn't. Oh no, no. He's just denying everything and and just saying no. And if I think he thinks if he says no long enough, or the DOD thinks it'll all go away, you know. But I think not. Yeah. Well, it's it's like I was the the podcast that I did the other day was the uh, a tale of two directors. You know, right. you've got uh, Lukatsky's comment, um, you know, that he's made recently, which we'll get into in a minute, and then you've got obviously the current sort of um, you know equivalent of Lukatsky, if you will, uh, that we have at this point in time, which is uh, you know Kirkpatrick. And um, very, very different in terms of, you know, the kind of comments they've been making recently and, and the point that they're trying to drive home. Uh, they couldn't be more different. Um, one thing about that tale of two directors that, that occurred to me afterwards is that if you actually add the names together, you've got James T. Lukatsky and then you've got Kirkpatrick. So almost James T. Kirk from Star Trek. <laughs> But not quite. <laughs> it just occurred to me, and I forgot to put that in the episode the other day. So I thought I'd just uh, maybe maybe raise a slight smile on um, yeah, one or two you? people's faces there. But getting anyway. <laughs> getting into the old um, the Lukatsky stuff. Then the 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 you know the the previous kind of. Uh, director of a previous generation essentially of the the government's ufo investigative effort um so lukatsky was that director of a of a you know confirmed official government ufo program osap and you know it always makes me laugh with lukatsky because you know, people sort of say, you know, a lot of questions people try to throw at Lou Elizondo, like, was it really a program and all the rest of it? Nobody really has those questions about Lukatsky because it was clearly a, an official government UFO program. You know, there's not really a question mark there whatsoever. I mean, in my opinion, there wasn't about uh, Lou Elizondo and ATIP either, if you actually look into the specific details and the timelines and whatnot. Um, but when Lukatsky says something, we're not talking about somebody who maybe was involved in this or that, you know, it's all a hundred percent, you know, legit. And the actual quote uh, from the new book uh, that's just come out authored by uh, Lukatsky, Knapp and Kelleher is, I'll just read it out because it's an interesting quote, just in case anybody's not already caught it. Quote, at the conclusion of a 2011 meeting in the Capitol building with a U.S. Senator and an agency undersecretary, Lukatsky, the only one of this book's authors present, posed a question. He stated that the United States was in possession of a craft of unknown origin and had successfully gained access to its interior. This craft had a streamlined configuration suitable for aerodynamic flight, but no intakes, exhaust, wings, or control surfaces. In fact, it appeared not to have an engine, fuel tanks, or fuel. Lukatsky asked, what was the purpose of this craft? Was it a life support craft useful only for atmospheric re-entry or what? If it was a spacecraft, then how did it operate? Unquote. And speaking about that particular passage, Lukatsky confirmed what's in the book is an exact statement of the event that occurred in the congressional facility and somewhat notoriously refused to go any further than that as well. Um, but what we are basically have here is Lukatsky, a respected rocket scientist who worked for the DIA, Defence Intelligence Agency, being interviewed on the Weaponized podcast with Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp, talking about that book and confirming that 
you know, he, he's basically saying the United States is in possession of a craft of unknown origin and has successfully gained access to its interior. And Knapp and Corbell went into quite a bit more detail asking him, you know, how he knew it was a craft and not some kind of other object or whatever. And Lukatsky wouldn't go any further whatsoever, but did commit to hopefully getting further statements authorised for publication down the line, um, saying that, quote, there was more to it, considerably more to that discussion about what the situation was, unquote. And I was really interested, there was a few other bits um, that I know we've been speaking about a little bit off offline, um, that Corbell and Knapp have been using the phrase um, penetrated the hull to gain access, which is not actually what Lukatsky himself said in that interview or anything. It wouldn't go any further than what was in the book, but um, they have obviously had offline conversations. And that thing about penetrating the hull I found quite interesting. There's also... Um, you know, been mentioned recently about craft that sort of look like natural materials, like a rock or a meteor of some type. Doesn't seem to be the case with this one because he talks about a streamlined configuration suitable for aerodynamic flight, which is quite an interesting thing to think about just in general. Like, why would it need to be aerodynamic with the specific type of technology that it, you know, could potentially be using? But then again, I suppose most UFO UAP shapes are somewhat aerodynamic as well even though that might not be a necessity you know perhaps there's different modes of operation who knows but it certainly gets you you thinking and the thing about penetrating the hull again there's a lot of different ways you might potentially look at penetrating a hull i'm certainly no expert in penetrating non-human technology but um it sounds like they've they've certainly at least according to lukatsky he's aware that they have made progress in that area so what do you reckon about all that then, Dave? Quite a lot going on there, isn't there? Well, uh, I, I, hopefully the listeners didn't hear me scrubbing out my other quote that you just destroyed. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Come on, I had written that down, but I knew you were going about that. I come. I, I just want to come back to that penetrating the hole now while I remember because I, I, I hadn't thought about that before. Oh, I, I remember what we were saying. I would say some of these, like the manta ray that was seen in the first, I can't remember his name, or the first UFO site in the first, the, the first and some of these other ones, some of the shapes are quite aerodynamic, but obviously they've got no 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 propulsion. But on the penetration of the hull, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I can't see him getting out a big drill bit and going through it. Some of this, from what we hear about other things, the advanced materials, I've already could have done that, I suppose. I, I suspect that might be some quite interesting way they've done that. They might have set up an EMP near the craft, you know, and a, you know, to do its magnetic field in, maybe gotten it that way or opened the door. They might even have used some, weird as it sounds, but he did talk about this himself, see some sort of psychic power or some sort of other way to open the thing. But, yeah, that is really interesting how they managed to get into it, unless it was left open. Like, they, partly some of the things they found them sort of left open sort of with the metaphorical keys in them. I mean, apparently, according to some people about that uh, Roswell, uh, the, the Roswell thing, or some of the wreckage from that, uh, apparently the actual power unit was a bit of pla- looked like a bit of plexiglass. You wouldn't have known unless they figured out, they didn't know what it was at first, they thought it was a bit of a part, and that was the main power unit. But, I mean, that's just hearsay, I suppose, but that I've heard that reported a few times. So when they got in, though, there wasn't much evidence of engines or anything like that, not even Lazar's sort of gravity sort of things that he mentioned in his uh, craft. You know, again, that's hearsay what he said, I suppose. So, yeah, I thought that was fascinating, but, 
just to come back to the book a little bit, I think uh, it, that was a great thing that you said, uh, Taylor Two Doctors, uh, because uh, it sort of was really, and, and it was it was quite refreshing to get Lukatsky's second opinion because, uh, in a way, what they did, they showed what you could accomplish in two years just with a modest bit of funding if you are actually committed to investigate this properly. You've had bloody Arrow, who's the other doctor, four years, twice as long. All right, he's not been at it for four years, but he's certainly been at it for a good two, you know. Uh, and he's done, and they've done absolutely nothing. And yet, if you the, the book, this book itself, it's, uh, it's based, it's first to two, I think. But this one is telling you what they actually did in the first few years. So it's got the management plan. And interestingly, they do a table in it, and it compares the two, the two plans. And there's only two things that are different from our from Arrow's plan, and from the RSAT plan. You know, in terms of the areas they're going to look at. Yet, what a difference in how they approached it. Uh, you know, Lukatsky's team, RSAP, and how Arrow have done absolutely nothing apart from write it on a PowerPoint at one point to look like they were busy. I mean, the only two things that were different was that. Uh, Arrow stated in RSAP didn't have sensors on because he didn't quite weren't quite linked into that, and the Arrow one didn't mention consciousness, which the RSAP one did. But apart from that, it's all the same stuff. And they went into, they went into. If you read the book, it's the flight, the power, the propulsion, space time travel possibilities, loads of the different science with loads of examples, and they did it all from the big database they picked up going through loads of cases so they're able to do that they had 40 people working on it you know they had working through all this it went through all the details to two detailed military ufo cases raf lake and heath and you would have loved this right you'll love this when you get to read it the tic tac one goes into loads of detail about that so you're because you love that don't you it's quite rightly because it's such a good case then they go through all the MUFON civilian sightings, which is something that Arrow have never touched at all, civilian sightings and all the rest of it, apart from the military sightings. They look at nuclear base incursions and the activity, what that means, talking about the massive database and how to link that up. And then they have something about NHI attacking humans in Brazil as well and then future studies. It's a massive, they accomplished such a lot in two years. Really, we're prepared to speculate based on evidence, come to a lot of good conclusions. They commissioned the DIRDS as well, which was these reports from scientists about how it might work. It was a brilliant example of what you can accomplish, accomplish if you're trying. And clearly, it's pretty obvious that they've not been trying at Arrow. That's what it shows to me. This I don't want to keep going on about it, but it just shows that they just committed to not doing it. And we saw, we've seen this, since UAPTF was shut down and Jay Stratton was removed just before the report was due to come out, uh, you know, uh, it's just a massive and blatant up yours to Congress, really, from the OUSD leadership and, you know, acting on behalf of these legacy programs, it seems now, from what we're hearing from Matt Fulber. We, we didn't need to be told that from him to know that. So, anyway... Uh, I thought it was the I thought it was fantastic what was in the book and what they managed to achieve and it and it should stand it's just so interesting that the Arrow report come out and then their report and the contrast was so stark which was why I thought that was such a good title. Do you want to talk about the interview he did a little bit because that was a bit of a contrast as well. I talk about that for a bit of a, a minute as well if that might be quite interesting. Yeah, what the which interview the Lukatsky one? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, all I was going to say was that it was the other contrast was between 
I what happened on the on the weaponized interview, and I thought uh, he got a bit of a rough ride, really, Lukatsky, really, uh, because there was a lot of really important things were saying. It was sort of slightly tarnished by. I thought it was a bit of an unfair overreaction to the interview. I know people were frustrated with because his manner was a little, he hammed it up a little bit, Latatsky, because he was only prepared to go what he'd actually agreed he could say with it with a DOD, and he wasn't going to go any further. But he started sort of hamming it up, and he was started talking about what he'd say and plausible deniability, and he wouldn't go to Congress and all that. But I thought Corbell was a little bit, uh, I think he was just overly directing his question a bit inept and he sort of kept taking it down down those alleys when maybe a bit more parallel questioning, which they started to do, him and George Knapp would have got more answers because the interview itself, even though he got, because of his manner, he got a bit attacked. I just think it's the way he is and people didn't quite understand he was playing that intelligence game and you get into a bit of a character and it didn't come over very well in the interview. Well, I mean, it was very revealing. He talked about uh, the craft revelation itself, and that was a bombshell, admitting that, somebody of his seniority. The diversity of craft, how they're so much different according to their database and how the massive weight of evidence they gathered, the military tracking evidence they got, the hostile NHI activity, NHI activity, that's a big thing they were talking about there. I mean, they talked about Kalara's in the book, and, you know, that's quite... And then they started to get into the potential untapped powers of human consciousness, which is what people talk about as the ancient Civ stuff about humanity in the past were able to utilize consciousness to, to sort of manipulate matter. Now, I know he wasn't getting into that, but the point is it was echoes of what is quite a out there thing that he was talking about. Because clearly, as we know from Skinwalker Ranch, they felt some of these issues were tied to the way the craft operated or to understanding the phenomena. So that was pretty important. And even they talked about the men in black. So even though people come away feeling a bit dissatisfied with that interview superficially, I think if you look at it, we had these bloody respected government scientists qualified up to the nines, you know, in big high clearances, confirming some really sort of incredible things for me, really. So I thought it was uh, pretty good. I mean, it got a bit lost in the reaction to the interview. because he wasn't disclosing more uh, around around what he'd said, because uh, and he was a bit unclear about stuff around the disinfo programs. But clearly, he's not going to want to go to prison. He can't say a load of stuff. And I think he was a bit unclear about disinfoing programs because he was being pressured quite a lot by Corbell at that point. And I think he was just trying to say, "Well, I don't know about the programs." And he was sort of adopting the line he'd take if he was being questioned because he can't say anything. And people took it that he was, uh, I thought, people thought that he was implying there was a little bit more disinfo in the programs than there were. But anyway, we can talk about, we might want to come back to that. And I thought he was inadvertently, inadvertently people thought he was casting shade on Grush. I'm not so sure he was as, as much as people were saying. Although I can see how people would have thought that. And uh, that I've, I've, he was being quite evasive about testifying to Congress, but, Again, I think it was all just part of this game he was playing. At the end of the day, as I say, when the storm in the teacup sort of abated, we can see what this committee program can produce, and it was quite amazing what they'd done. And I would just add now, listen to Lukatsky, this is the eighth, I think it's the eighth, it could be the tenth, senior US official to confirm the existence of UAP and a study of them, and people are studying them. 
and I think by my count, I think at least three or four of them have hinted at recovered craft and reverse engineering, and two have outright stated it. So, again, the comparison with the poor fare served up by Arrow and Dr. Kirkpatrick, you know, it's stark and it's damning, really. And again, another reason for the UAP Disclosure Act to be brought into ASAP. What did you think of that interview, though, Frank? You talked about it a bit on the show uh, last yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, it does occur to me that perhaps I am being a little bit too lenient on Lukatsky, but it just occurred to me when I was listening to it that, you know, not not everybody's really that comfortable talking into a microphone on a podcast that you Absolutely. know that, that thousands and thousands of people are going to listen to anyway. So just like regardless, like whenever you do a podcast and you know you've been recorded – feels a lot different to having a conversation just generally anyone who's done a podcast especially in the beginning will definitely know that Lukatsky's not a veteran of doing interviews you know what I mean that he knows are going to go out there um so that's that's an aspect of it anyway and then you add into the mix that this guy is is being privy to some of the most highly classified information that exists within the world like you know what I mean Imagine like what it's like to actually be walking that line. I mean, like even if you don't believe that the, there's a craft there and that you, you maybe saw it or not or whatever it might be, you know, still, you know, there's no question that he's been involved in some unbelievably highly classified projects and so on. Walking that line when you're being recorded and you're being, you know, pretty aggressively questioned. It's not easy, and you know. So I, th- I think there's a bit of slack to be cut there, if you will. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's kind of you know what I what I put it down to. I, d- I didn't think he was deliberately, you know, sort of being evasive and kind of. I think some people got the impression that he was kind of going, oh, "Well, I'm holding all the secrets, and you know, I'm not going to tell anybody." But no, I don't think it was, and. I think there's um there is a lot of that in the UFO community like but I think a lot of the time it, it it's people on Twitter who have heard a bit of this and a bit of that they put two and two together made five and then they kind of you know they like to feel like the kid in the playground that knows the secret and they're not going to tell anybody you know what I mean and that kind of thing and people get fed up with that type of attitude um and then when they see Lukatsky doing this you know, they sort of take out the frustration on Lukatsky, but Lukatsky actually legit is one of the people who's got all those secrets. You know, he's, it's not a case of like, he's, he's just saying this. He has been involved at that highest level, you know, and it's, for me, I think it's more just a case of bearing that in mind, the situation that somebody like that's in on a podcast with a microphone in front of him. And yeah. also remembering that he's, he's doing what he can to get out the information that he can without compromising his own safety or legal position, you know. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that did come up, though, Frank, and it was come up about four years ago, this, and it's sort of gone in the background, but there is a thing, apparently, when they read into these programmes, they're supposed to lie uh, if they're asked about them. And he said, if I was subpoenaed, I'd lie about it. And, you know, he sort of implied that. But that has been a lot of the law and, and the sort of the trade craft, as it were, but it's been reported for a long time that I can remember. But if they're asked the question, they'd have to lie. And if you remember, what, but did you do that show with DJ and was it Lampy where she was talking about immunity mm-hmm. and all the rest of it? That was ages ago. But uh, I got, you know, when he was, start, he was starting to get into that mode to illustrate what it was. And I think people sort of misunderstood that a bit. But I think his view was, 
if he was asked about some things, he, well, unless it was in the exact right setting and he knew he had permission, he'd just say, what are you talking about? I don't know. And he was sort of trying to illustrate that. And uh, he got into a bit of that, you know what I mean? And I, I think people didn't quite get that, but it was an interesting question. If they ever do get some of these hostile witnesses into a select committee where they're asked the question, are they going to be allowed to lie and lie under under oath? Because I think that's a big constitutional question. That they might be told by these confidentiality things that you can lie under oath to a court or to Congress. Uh, well, is that is that legal? How's their accountability in that legally? I don't think that applies legally, and I, and I'm it's not just me who thinks it. I've heard that debate for a bit as to whether it is or it isn't legal. So wasn't my puny legal brain thinking about it. I've heard better minds than me say that. So, so I thought I, we got into quite an interesting uh, discussion there about that. And, uh, yeah, anyway, so, yeah, that, that that sort of opened that kind of worms quite a lot, that I thought. People didn't yeah. get that. There was a lot, wasn't there, really, at the end of the day? It was in between all the kind of, I'm not going to talk about that moments, there were a lot of other bits as well that were that interesting discussion. And the thing is about the aerodynamics as well, quickly, just to go back to that, um, the the Lake and Heath one, I think that's the one Kelleher was talking about where it appeared to be some kind of natural formation type of object. And then when they got close to it, they realized that it, it wasn't some kind of meteor. It was there, you know, behaving in a way that you would expect a, an airborne vehicle to behave in. And that was the one I was talking about earlier that I briefly touched on that, you know, this doesn't appear to be that kind of thing because it's clearly aerodynamic and um it also makes me think of the calvin object yeah if, yeah if if that indeed is a craft you know i mean which i th- I, th- I think it you know having looked at it in a fair bit of detail i think it is whether or not it's a you know secret government craft or whether it's some kind of uh, uh you know non-human technology or whether it's kind of a human craft based on a non-human technology or something like that, it's difficult to say. But it's interesting because I remember doing a show with DJ uh, where we were talking about this and the fact that that object doesn't make any sense from an aerodynamics point of view, an object of like that kind of size and things like that. And it just makes you think about what this craft was because this clearly was aerodynamic. And this sort of hint at the speculative aspect of is it some kind of you know landing vehicle or something like that, and then an object that doesn't have any kind of propulsion system whatsoever or, or any visible propulsion system that that, that we can perceive um, and that kind of thing. It does make you think: how is it controlled? What's the use of of that craft? And then that ties in with that really quite fascinating comment about if full human capabilities were um, well, I've actually I've got I've actually got it here because I did a Twitter poll about this. Um so Lukatsky said um there was some kind of discussion going on as to whether it's something that we should be afraid of, whether it's something that's malevolent or benevolent and so on. And he kind of started to talk about it as if he was gonna say that it's it's mostly, you know, benevolent sort of thing. But then he didn't quite go as far as to actually say that. He sort of cut himself off and then he said, quote, this is not something we need to fear if full human capabilities were known, unquote. And I did a little poll on Twitter, what capabilities is Lukatsky referring to here? And um, uh, it was uh, about f- close to 50% said human psychic abilities um, and about 10% said physics or tech breakthrough 
and 35% said a combination of the above. And it does kind of make you think, I mean, obviously I, I, I chose the options for that poll, so it's clear where my mind was going with it kind of thing. But it does make you think if a craft has got no engine or no kind of like propulsion system that we can see, is is like consciousness, psychic abilities, as you might say, an aspect of somehow controlling that craft or as you touched on earlier like perhaps one way to actually be able to break through the hull if that's what it even is is using some kind of you know psychic capabilities and that kind of thing and obviously as Lukatsky himself even said in the interview people are going to pick up on these scraps of information and try and figure out what it is and probably won't get it <laughs> so maybe that's what I'm doing there but it does certainly um, make you think and the other thing I wanted to touch on is that thing about the disinformation because that was um, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, I remember listening to – there's an Eric Davis interview that I've heard about literally 10 times um, and where he's talking about like um, – you know how these how these programs work and how you get access to these programs and and that kind of thing it's a fantastic interview with eric davis from years ago and i actually can't remember what podcast it was on off the top of my head i think it's podcast ufo martin willis it is I, I, don't, I don't i'm pretty sure it is yeah it's really it's about it's the sort of famous one it, it goes yeah. on for ages it's so good you want the to, be able to say it now i reckon the problem with it is is that he he's got a something wrong with his throat eric davis said he's literally coughs every 10 seconds it's painful to listen to but it's well worth sticking with it despite that um you know because he's talking about all of these the way that these programs operate and how how closed they are and the the extent of what is held back you know outside of the very few people who are read into the full details of the program and, and so on and he specifically says that the amount of funding a program gets for its actual operation and the running of that program, you have about 10 times that spent on the actual security for the program. And, you know, the extent of what is done to keep these programs hidden, you know, it's pretty, pretty astonishing. And Lukatsky clearly says in that interview that, um, that, that one of the consultants working on the program essentially was you know, like compromised in some way, was either an agent or was feeding information back to, to somebody else. And that there were certain efforts kind of put into place to circulate, you know, documents and ideas and things like that. Um, and, I mean, we don't know the full extent of that, but it's it's very interesting. And obviously, you know, again, as, as Lukatsky kind of said, everybody's picked up on these details and has been discussing it. And, and, you know, people take like a half bit of information and decide that that it supports my narrative. I'm going to run with it sort of thing. And, you know, it's important not to do that, isn't it? But it is interesting mm -hmm. to think about the possibility of documents and things, especially, you know, people hold up fire requests and having a document in your hand that you can point to and you can highlight a, a line of it and you can say this proves that you know the thing i've been saying is right and stuff you know do do we have to sort of reconsider that a little bit bearing in mind that these programs might themselves be creating certain documents to muddy the waters even on the inside you know it's a it's a bit of a mad thought isn't it to think about the extent of it all yeah, it's a bit too mad for me, to be honest with you. I'll, uh, I'll tell you what I thought about that, because I thought that was, I thought, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll get to the new one of this, but I thought that was a bit like Cabell putting pressure on him. But 
just to go through my thinking on that, I mean, I get, right, but in the system, there will be misleading documents that are there to put people off the scent. I'm sure there are, and I get they'll be littered about the system by the county intelligence people. I get that they might even give people lower down the chain some misleading documents, say if they're working on a little widget or a part or whatever, and, you know, they may have misled, so they don't know what the actual project's about. Uh, but I think most of the people who Grush talks about had first-hand experience of the craft, or they were running the projects. And I cannot see the main day-to-day -day operational files and data that they're using to do the work would include this info. It'd just cause chaos. It'd be like the Marx Brothers every day. You know what I mean? Slapstick comedy, custard pies in it. What's this? And putting the wrong part in and blowing the engine. You just couldn't run a railroad like that. So I think there is this information in the system, but I don't think the people uh, who we were talking about, you know, would have they would have known the difference because they were working on the core program. I mean, Grush cross-checked all this testimony and paperwork meticulously over four years because he thought he was being played. He tied it up against different witnesses, people who didn't know each other, cross-referenced it against different projects. So I don't think that those people who he based his information on were suffering from disinformation. Now, a couple may be, and there might have been some slips in there. You can't rule it all out. The other thing about the disinfo, I was thinking, what's the alternative that they're trying to hide? I mean, would they make up where you've got a great new jet engine by saying it's some sort of... Uh, you know, given the secrets of the universe, we've cracked, you know, uh, zero point energy and we've got alien tech and, you know, we're dancing around with it at three o'clock every day. Would you, would you, would, was that the way to go to actually, the, 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 the cure's worse than the disease, isn't it? Now, I know that's a bit, I could see how that, that's a bit arguable, that bit, what I'm saying. But you've got to ask the point, what's the alternative? And uh, the more important, the thing for me, You've got to think about the context of Lukatsky's replies uh, was, the, was to the questioning of Corbell. And if you think about it, Corbell was putting him under pressure and he was being evasive about the legacy programs. And, uh, and he was saying, well, what about the whistleblowers? That proves it, doesn't it? And so I don't think, uh, when he said it was all disinfo, I don't think he was being calm and considered. I think it was a sort of what-if evasion, a bit like what I was talking about earlier. So that's my take on it. I thought it was more in response to that question and he was going into that sort of lying mode about it. And I don't think the stuff Grush is coming about is the most of it, if not all of it, is going to be that disinfo, even though I accept there's disinfo in the system. However, when I was listening to your show last time, as always with these things, and it's why it's so worth discussing them, I thought, yeah, Frank's got a point there. There must be more disinformation in the system than we think. You know what I mean? Littered around, and that does add another. So I wouldn't dismiss it all, but I don't think I think by that what he was saying, Lukatsky at all, and that was probably the most, the main bit that I thought because I was a little irritated by listening to, but I, I sort of knew it was good stuff we were getting. But that was the bit that did irritate me. But I thought it was just because it was a bit cack-handed, to be honest with you, the, the questioning and he was being pressured, you know. But it it's a good thing to consider and. Yeah, so I, I I was thinking, oh, no chance. And then I thought about it. I thought, yeah, well, there's probably quite a bit in the system. So, yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, it's you've got to think as well, haven't you? Like, it's, you know, somebody like Lukatsky who's been involved at that level, 
you know, because there's consultants to this program, there's people who came in as advisors, there's people who did this and did that. Lukatsky was the director of this program. You know, he's got to have been involved at the, you know, he's got to have seen most of what can be seen, you know, in a, in a, with a program like that. Um, and that, that includes a lot of classified information and whatnot. And there would still be a, you know, there would still be a kind of a, a, a desire, for want of a better way of putting it, to, to keep those things secret. Yeah, yeah. And may, maybe if that was the case, you might even suggest that, because he says himself in that interview, he says he says that adversaries will be listening to this interview right now. Yeah. So bearing that in mind, if you know that the, the Russians, the Chinese, every other nation who's got an interest in this kind of thing are going to be picking apart every single word he says, then it stands to reason that he may well actually suggest that there are things that people have been led to believe that actually are based on disinformation because yeah. then the Chinese, the Russians, whoever, don't know how close they're getting to the answers because he's thrown even more <laughs> even yeah. more mud in the water. I mean, you know? you're right. That's what I was alluding to earlier, you know, a bit earlier when we were talking about that telling of the deliberate lie. I, I, I totally, I think that could well be what he was at. The other thing I thought he might be doing, he might be talking to more general people in the area, like Bob, I'm not Bob, Bob Lazar's just come to mind. It could be anybody. Do you know more people who we know who had said things that weren't correct, not necessarily the grush people, but but yeah, that's a really good point, that Frank, because I, I thought that that could be it as well. It was part of that sort of lying thing. So it just shows what a tricky business it is. Whether he was under pressure or not, like I'm saying, and he was. And I don't think I, I still don't think there's that level of this uh, disinformation in the, in the, when they're doing it day to day. It does show it's a big element, and it's it just adds another level of complexity to trying to interpret this stuff, doesn't it? And you, you never know. Yeah, it just it just shows really. You know, we talk about the waters being muddy and all the rest of it. It just shows the the extent of it, doesn't it? That there could well be, you know, and, and like you say, I I, I don't think that. Lukatsky was was making the point that all the people that Grush had spoke to have got it wrong and they've they've been taken in by disinfo. I th I think, like you say, the vast majority, you know, the the vast majority of those people have have they've been looked into so much by Grush during the what was it two year investigation and everything's been cross referenced and and background checked and whatnot. For all of them to have been completely mistaken and, and have been fed disinfo seems like it's so much of a stretch. But I, I, I open the door for the possibility that a few of them out of the, what was it, 40, could could have been. You know, like uh, my sort of thinking on that is if you identify as the top levels of a program like RSAP, you identify that one of the consultants is, is an agent or has been compromised or whatever you might direct certain bits of, you know, disinformation towards the specific compartment that that consultant is working in. And that might then have a knock-on effect on potentially people working directly with that person. So something like that's kind of the scenario that, that I think that that may have happened. But it just goes to show, doesn't it, like the, the waters are muddy not only on the outside – with what we're looking at as the outside looking in, but potentially could even be muddy on the inside as well. And there's very few people who really know the full extent of it all in terms of yeah. what's what. And I, I think, you know, the cast is probably one of them people, isn't he? Yeah. I, I think what we, but equally we can't trust what he's saying because we know he's, 
he's not flying straight, as it were, for, for reasons he thinks is correct. And you know what I mean? He, he doesn't think his job is to spill the beans to us. He's just to tell us a bit of what might be useful because he has come forward and, and spilled the beans, you know, and told us. So he is committed to disclosure to some extent. So I thought that was a bit harsh, people saying he wasn't committed to disclosure. But he's still playing this game of only telling us, still defending the national interest as he sees it. I mean, I wonder if the ICIG, I think if there's anybody suffering from blatant uh, disinformation or whatever and have had the wool pulled over their eyes, unknowingly, I think the uh, ICIG would have uh, identified that if it was big. Maybe not the small stuff, but, the, you know, or minute stuff, but, it's very de- but I think they would have identified, you know, if somebody thought he was working on... Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, a craft from Mars or whatever, from a Zeta Reticuli. And uh, actually, it was from uh, Bogner Aegis, you know what I mean? It was actually part <laughs> of a missile casing. Then I think that would have come out. But but some of the more subtle stuff might not. But yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, and we probably must move on. But I mean, yeah, that yeah. interview, yeah. I, I, re- I really did find it proper fascinating. Not not Nothing concrete came out of it, but... The food for thought that came out of that hour interview or whatever it was was pretty wild. But um, it's quite a nice little link that you mentioned about the um, the the IG Inspector General oh, and good, uh, yeah, you see what I did there. Yeah, so good. the this this next point is about um, basically the DOD IG um, uh, classified briefing. So uh, lawmakers basically received a classified briefing regarding uh, allegations that the Pentagon is operating this secret UFO uh, retrieval and reverse engineering program and whatnot. And those lawmakers described this as pointless, which is (laughs) certainly not what we were hoping for. Um, (laughs) They were basically saying that, you know, there's a lot more effort needed to be done if they're going to get any answers because they certainly didn't get anything from that briefing. And uh, um, there's a News Nation article about this. Um, News Nation, obviously, been doing a lot of work on the UAP issue recently. And um, uh, the, the representatives have told News Nation that not only did they not receive information on the alleged programs, but they couldn't even figure out the process for getting cleared to be briefed. Um, the quote is, uh, quote, we can't even find out who is allowed to know uh, unquote, and that was um, Representative um, Scott Perry, apparently. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim Burchett um, is actually one of the uh, folks who's actually kind of led uh, this effort to ch- check out uh, Grush's claims and things like that. And um, Tim Burchett was kind of, it wasn't directly blaming the individuals who were actually sent to brief Congress. Um, he wasn't exactly thrilled about the way it all all played out, um, but he's basically under the impression that you know people are being sent to do these briefings. Congress are basically demanding answers and wanting um, you know a secure facility to get answers to this and, and whatnot, and and they're actually being sent people who don't actually have the knowledge, plausible deniability type thing. And Birchett said. Quote, the federal government learned to do this during the Second World War. You have to imagine Oak Ridge National Laboratory, the Manhattan Project, thousands of people working on the atomic bomb, and less than 12 knew what it was. 
unquote, which I think, you know, I don't agree with everything Burgess says, but that's a good point, you know. And um, he was saying that the the silos of information and the compartmentalisation are, are, are done on purpose and that folks in the Department of Defence send people with limited knowledge to speak truthfully, even when they're under oath, without re- revealing the bigger picture. And that's exactly what plausible deniability is, isn't it, at the end of the day? If you send somebody to answer questions that they don't know the answers to, they can say they don't have a clue about it, and they're not lying. So they literally can do a lie detector test because they're telling the truth as they know it because they've not been clued up on the bigger picture. And it's funny because essentially I feel like that's what Arrow as an office is you know, they're not being given the right accesses and the right information. And then when, you know, the public demand answers on UAP, the, the Pentagon can, can come out and say, Arrow hasn't found any evidence of this. It's just the same thing, but on a bigger scale. You know, the Congress want answers. So you send somebody who doesn't have a clue about what the answers are into a skiff. Lo and behold, they don't get anything from it. You know, the, the public want answers. And obviously, Congress represents the public and demands those answers, and you know an office is set up without any accesses, without any resources, and um, you know potentially even deeper than that. If if all of these claims of of the secret committee advising our role of of what to do, you know it's a, it's a worrying picture that emerges, isn't it? But um, apparently, there's going to be another um, IG briefing. I think this one was to do with the DOD. Uh, inspector general and and the the forthcoming one is the intelligence community inspector general but um maybe we'll we'll, i don't know i'm I'm not exactly hopeful but perhaps there'll be more more uh you know that we can that we can take from that when it when it actually happens is it something like the middle of november day i think it's either the 14th or the 16th it's the day before the Seoul uh conference and i think it's the day uh after uh, the whatever the the search for clarity or whatever he's doing, Doctor Kirkpatrick and he's, uh, you know, he's he's amazing press conference he's going to do or whatever it is, you know, you know, an evening with Kurt with uh, Sean, you know, what I mean, whatever, anyway, whatever. It's then, yeah, so it's middle of November, yeah. Yeah, whether we'll get anything out of that, I, I don't really know. Well, if, if this if this previous one's anything to go off, I'm not I'm not hopeful. Well, but. I mean, if you think about the tiff over the skiff, as I'm beginning to, as I think I called it, how I said, bottom in mind anyway, it get a bit ridiculous, really, doesn't it? I mean, we're all getting excited, we're all getting excited. And a lot of people have said they're not going to tell you anything, you know, and I think they probably got an idea when the uh, DODIG inspectors turned up in a clown car with all, you know, with big red noses and big long shoes. And then when they got into the skiff, the car exploded and they sort of squirted water in the face of all the <laughs> congressmen. They probably knew that it wasn't quite going to be serious then, but it was farcical, wasn't it? Everybody was, they all dressed up, ready to go say, I'm sorry, sir, we can't tell you anything. You're not cleared. And then they must have gone, now you have whatever expletives you want to add. Are you joking? <laughs> and then it, I mean, it was just ridiculous, wasn't it? And the, uh, uh, there was a one congressman who said, uh, "Oh, uh, there might have been some new form of propulsion." Uh, this, he mentioned that, and everybody sort of jumped on that as if that had been said. But I don't think that was said in that skiff. I think he was referring to a report Sharpie was talking about today, where he talked about the, uh, you know, the satellite. There's been a new report, apparently secretly or uh, classified one, circulated to Congress about the, you know, the balloons and all the rest of it was shot down. 
And I think he's talking about the amount of mention proportion. I'm totally guessing there, by the way, Frank. That might be rubbish. But I think he was something else he'd heard anyway, listening to him. But, yeah, I mean, it is unclear if the same thing is going to happen at the ICIG meeting but because uh, they've got potentially more to talk about. Uh, but, yeah, they did send people who knew nothing, like the Chuckle Brothers at May 22, Moultrie and Bray, went in, oh, what, nuclear? You, you, really? A nuclear weapons base? Oh, wow. Oh, well, well, we'll get right on that. Oh, God. what? Yeah, just cobblers, wasn't it? But they apparently hadn't been briefed. So, if you believe that, I find that hard to believe, given that he's on the board of Raytheon. But anyway, uh, but uh, Moultrie. But anyway, uh, I, so I think the it's a bit, the clearance issue itself is really unclear. See, in the first place, you'd think they'd be able to give a more detailed account of the investigations that was classified at the right level. So, if, obviously, if the programs were super top secret, they could give some sort of, because give them a summary at a lower level, but at least give them a feel for it, wouldn't you? And some of the detail, I'd give them, but they didn't even bother to do that. So to not even bother to do that and give them something just seemed like a slap in the face, really, or just a, you know an unwillingness to try to be transparent. I mean, I'm sure the DOD was very pleased at that point. But uh, it's also unclear, as you alluded to, if any politicians, even ones with the highest security clearances, who are on the armed services and the intel committee, the intel committee particularly, will be suitably cleared. And what about the Gang of Eight? And they're the ones, uh, I think, I can't remember offhand, it's the, uh, I think it's the, the chair and the uh, minority chair of the uh, Armed Services Committee and the Intelligence Committee. And then it's the Speaker and Deputy Speaker of the Senate and the House of Congress. They're the Gang of Eight. And when you've got these unwaved, unwaved unacknowledged special access programs, the most top secret one, in order to do accountability, they've got to verbally brief them. So they're always told everything, apparently, apart from if it's the DOE, in which case you don't have to tell anybody anything. But by that, if it goes to Congress, they're the one. And it's not even clear if they're included, because everybody on Twitter would say, well, well, the Gang of Eight must be included. Well, it wasn't clear from that. Now, just steal yourself here, Frank, but there was a rumour from Rick Doherty here, and he, now I know Rick's got an interesting history, but he's part of a group that's talking to Senator Rubio, and there's a group of ex-intelligence officers we were bringing witnesses forward and are quite well informed. Some of the stuff that's coming out in the last year particularly has been pretty good. And they heard a rumour that what had happened on the day the DODIG had actually upped the classification of all these programmes. There's 25 programmes that they're interested in, or legacy or whatever, big UAP programmes. So nobody could get access to them. And they'd have to apply again to get access. So there's some jiggery. There's potentially, if you don't, even if you don't believe that, there's clearly some jiggery pokery been going on around these clearances and a definite decision to tell them nothing so if the ig the icig does the same then uh it could be interesting and the ability of grush to testify to congress in a skiff that's still unclear and very murky at first it was maybe he wasn't allowed to but now it seems he is allowed to but people can't listen to what he's saying because it's too classified so god knows that's also an issue but apart from all those rumors I think unless the ICIG particularly aren't more forthcoming or if the, if the DOD people, I think it's likely to strengthen the will of Congress to pass this UAP legislation. So to me, they might think they're being clever now, but I think it's a bit of an own goal because if the people were thinking, oh, I don't know about this uh, legislation in the Senate, I think uh, 
they might have shot themselves in the foot. But it is a bit of a catch-22 situation because I don't think they've got anywhere else to go but just to try and deny it all. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a tricky one. There's there's an aspect where it is that thing of send somebody with no knowledge of it so they've got plausible den- deniability and all that. <clears throat> but then there's also the thing of like, you know, when we hear about things like Admiral Wilson, you know, in the Wilson Davis notes and, you know, somebody in a, an unbelievably high position of authority has tried to get access to this stuff and been told they've not got a need to know and they've, been, you know, basically been shut out from things. You know, is Tim Burchett really going to get any further? You know, I don't, I'm pretty sure Tim Burchett's not going to have the, the, the you know, a high, high enough level of access to do. There's even been rumours that presidents have been told they've not got a need to know and have been shut out of certain bits of information and things like that. You know, it's like, how, how far are they really going to be, be able to actually get? You know, but at the end of the day, I suppose we're just, you know, thankful that the, there are efforts taking place. And the last thing I would want to do is, is discourage any of these politicians who are actually working towards this kind of thing, you know. But just on that point about I was saying about a lower level of briefing, I, I've not just, I'm not what you would think I would have done, but I've not just made that up. In the in UAP Disclosure Act, one of the provisions is if they get a, a piece of information that they don't think they can fully disclose on, you know, to the public or whoever, there's a provision that they do a, a you know, a, a sort of lowered or not dumbed down, but a, a less secret version of that so that people can get the essence of what it is. So there's sort of precedence in this UAP Act for that sort of activity to take place, i.e. you might be very, very classified, but and, you know, there's some things you can't say, but you can do a, a version that does tell at least the bones of what's happening so people can make decisions on it or the public can know. So that brings... That whole concept of doing that is interesting because they've not attempted to do that here, and clearly that's not where they're going with it. And like you say, this thing with Doctor with uh, Admiral Wilson, but that is at the heart of it. They, they can't just keep saying the sources and methods; it's all too secret. There's going to have to figure out a way to tell people about some of this stuff at a level because Lou's managed it quite well, hasn't he? In interviews, mm. he's done pretty well talking about pretty sensitive things some of which have really shocked people without breaking his security clearance. So there is a way to do it if you want mm. to do it. Uh, it's really interesting, though, Frank. You're right. It really is. I, th- I think that's a, it's a good point about Lou. I meant to mention that earlier. It's interesting. Lou, Lou's confidence in interviews at walking up to that line there's, there's, uh, compared to Lukatsky's, who's clearly not as seasoned, uh, you know, at doing interviews. Lou Elizondo's done about three million interviews by this point. Lukatsky's done four, so yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a bit of a different situation. Is it four? Maybe he's only just done like I, two. I think, I think he's done two. I think he's done the yeah. Skinwalker one, and he's done the the, the other one. Uh, he did the skin. I forget who he did the Skinwalker one with. Uh, anyway, yeah. yeah, he's done two. One with George Knapp, it was the Skinwalker one. And the second one was Corbell and Knapp on Weaponized, which was about yeah. this new book. I don't think he's done any others. He might have done one more somewhere, but I thought it was just two. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it, it's a very, very low number anyway. That's the the kind of the key point. But interesting uh, to see how it all, how it plays out going forward. Um, but, yeah, just to go back to that thing you mentioned earlier on, um, there's a, a certain somebody on Twitter who uh, uh, claims to be in the know in terms of uh, the intelligence community in the States and occasionally drops hints here and there, oh. um, who's been talking about how November will be a very good month for the topic. 
and UFO Twitter will have plenty to talk about now. Obviously, pinch of salt. Get another pinch of salt while you're at it and uh, take it on board with that pinch of salt. Um, but, you know, it's interesting and, and it does kind of... Uh, it does it does it's, it's worth considering considering some of the other uh kind of predictions by you know these types of people on twitter if you check out the track records and stuff you can see that somebody's actually clearly knows a little bit of something maybe not everything but it's, it's worth bearing in mind um and there was a few uh questions after that statement about um, is it going to be to do with the ndaa passing and things like that and uh, according to this particular individual, um, it's very unlikely that this particular NDA is even going to be passed this year, um, and so we're probably either looking at the 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 DOD, uh, sorry, the 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 ICIG skiff uh, briefing, which is going to be in the middle of the month, or perhaps um, what you'd mentioned a little bit earlier on. Wow. which was the, the Soul Foundation thing, which I'm not particularly clued up on, so I'd be interested to hear a bit more about if you've got some yeah, info well, on it. Yeah, I mean, you are talking about the semi-cryptic tweet from the well-informed Richard Butt, as we know, not his real name, I hasten to add, which probably <laughs> probably just as well for him as an individual <laughs> in his life. But uh, if you go through a life called Dick Butt, I don't think that's probably the best start in life. But anyway, he's a well-intelligent in connected intelligence person we know that he's got very close links to team disclosure that's the other thing you can follow his history and i was gonna do his quote frank but clearly you've not left that to me yet again but, <laughs> any, but anyway he made the point that there may be some revelations next month and uh i thought it might mean i don't i don't think it would be the icig i know you were just putting that as a possibility but i think it's going to mean more pressure is going to be applied by the whistleblowers as hinted at if you remember uh, has been hinted at before due to the continued DOD sort of resistance, you know, the non-disclosure factions, you know, the fuck dragging. And I think it might be perhaps a direct response to Kirkpatrick's report and the skiff shenanigans as well, you know, that what they're thinking of doing. Now, uh, I also think the link to Matt Ford about Dr. K's secret group was directly linked to his weak UAP report. That was my, I've no evidence apart from people talking i've no concrete evidence for that i just think it seemed to be the timing there so what my mind where my mind went to and it was just a connection i made is that they're going to open the soul foundation which is due to it's due to have its inaugural meeting mid-november inaugural meeting i only realized this recently myself it's the first meeting they're going to have to open it and it's got a load of scientists gary nolan jack Vallee, all the big famous heavy hitters in the field have joined this foundation. David Grush is the chair or the CEO of the organization. It's very serious and it's having a closed door meeting. I think it's on the 16th of November or the 17th of November on a Saturday. It's a closed session, 400 people there. Uh, all these, this brilliant speaker, Eric Davis is speaking as well. Funnily enough, you mentioned Eric Davis. They're all there speaking and uh, loads of credible pro disclosure speakers in a closed session talking about presumably what they're going to do, how do they farm it out to science, what's the next steps in disclosure. So it's a big event, which will have, I feel, some reverberations, be they quiet at first or loud. But I wonder, is it too much of a stretch to imagine that there may be some fairly big revelations might be unveiled sort of before, during, or maybe even shortly after the event? And 
was that what Richard Buck was referring to? So uh, I think let's sort of wait and see, you know. But it's but regardless of that, it has already been a good year, I suppose. But I think, as rather than old Richard thinks, I think if you listen to Ross and a few Ross Coulter and a few people recently, there seems to be a growing weight of conviction that the UAP Disclosure Act will pass. Now that goes up and down, doesn't it? You could probably set a clock by the however it goes up and down. You probably could keep pretty regular time. But that seems to be, I'm getting the vibe, but it's a growing feeling that it is going to pass one way or the other. And I think the reason it may well pass is because, it, as I say, it's the soft landing pad the Biden administration has for trying to get this in some sort of order because it's clearly must be getting out of hand behind the scenes. Because the other, they can't have whistleblowers spilling the beans. Think of the carnage that caused to the government and the reputation. So they must be worried about that. So I think it's sort of game on anyway for some kind. If that goes through that act, it could well be game on for some kind of official disclosure or at least more accurately detailed confirmation in 2024. And as I've said to you before, Frank, don't get make take the mushroom bet in 2024. But I don't know. But yeah, so it was that's just my connection with the Soul Foundation. But a Richard Butt thing was pretty interesting. Yeah, well, it's uh, you know it's been a big year. I, I always remember back to that uh, Christmas episode we did last uh, yeah. last year. Particularly, I, I keep I'm, I'm actually going to go back and uh, and check out uh, Chris Sharp Sharpie. I'm going to check out his his prediction segment that he did on that, and I bet you we could tick it off like a list of exactly what happened this year because um, it was it was pretty much outlining exactly what was going to happen. And it's funny, you know, like obviously I, the hype side of things can can get a bit annoying, especially when it's coming from people who who, who clearly don't really know and they're just kind of trying to get a bit of engagement on Twitter and stuff like that. But you know. A lot of that stuff that was discussed towards the end of last year has happened, and some, you know, really. This year has been a pretty mega year. Um, it's, it's been the craziest year since I've been, you know, deeply interested in this topic. And, um, you know, we've still got a few months of the year left to go, and next year will be very interesting to see uh, how it all plays out. While we're on the topic of the Christmas episode, um, I've had a few messages about this, believe it or not. People actually do like that Christmas episode quite a lot. And um, uh, we're going to be doing the same thing again this year, uh, in case anybody was was wondering about that. So it'll be the same format as the last few years. Keep the tradition going um, with the ghosts of uh, Christmas past, present and future. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's something to, to look forward to. I'm, I'm starting to just about to get into the the kind of the festive mood at the moment even though we're a couple of months off um so uh yeah looking forward to, to getting that sorted yeah, well, who knows might see an appearance from you dave eh? we'll see how it well, goes as a senior specter frank i will <laughs> i can feel the ghostly tendrils coming around me as my pen levitates above my desk and starts to strangely write the tale itself as i just watch so yeah <laughs> that'll, that'll be yeah i i think sharpie uh i think you will find sharpie didn't know in broad form a lot of what was going on going to happen this year i mean he wouldn't tell you because you know what he's like but if you think back about it now what he said i think he was pretty pretty bang on them I and mean, i don't i haven't listened back to the ghost ring but i know talking to him what he said cryptically is sort of and see what he meant yeah I mean like you say obviously Sharpie you know would never reveal anything even to us who you know yeah. we speak behind the scenes of and stuff you know <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's it's that thing isn't it of um, 
you know, protecting sources and people you speak to and, and all the rest of it. And uh, obviously that is, is you know, very important. But the thing is, when we're talking about somebody like Richard Butt on Twitter or whoever else it might be or rumblings that we're here and stuff like that, you know, we have to remember David Grush was in the background talking to people for what was it like a year and a half or something like that before he eventually actually came out and and, and you know did the so obviously these things are working away in the background and you know limited amount of information about it does get out on the grapevine and as long as you're you know like i say you get random people popping up on twitter trying to just, you know, whip up a storm and that kind of thing but if you if you're listening to people who've got a track record of being reliable it is worth bearing things like that in mind so that's why we mentioned about that that richard yeah, butt yeah, thing yeah. we'll see you know november is it going to be an interesting month with a lot to talk about but i hope so because that'll be cool yeah. to talk about on the next round table I won't mean, it i mean <laughs> so. i think frank part of the show i mean we're listening to it like everybody else and i think you know it's just as give people how we're trying to interpret what we hear. Clearly, we don't know if we're right. But I think it's interesting because people might have their own thoughts and help them sort of join the dots maybe in a different way. But I think it's quite important. And it's interesting with Grush's testimony over the years, how much of what he actually revealed, if it's correct, and I think it is correct, uh, what he said, uh, actually... We knew about in the in the you know the reliable or fair reliable coverage over the decades. A lot of it was known; it just wasn't confirmed. And twenty twenty four, if things do get confirmed, may mean that we all have a there's a different take in the community where we're really focusing on more known things. It may focus, and it might be a very very different discussion that the ghosts of uh, Christmas twenty twenty four are having. Let me tell you. In, indeed yeah and uh, well i think that's a perfect a perfect uh, break point as they say so we'll leave it there for now so uh hope everybody's enjoyed listening to this very slimmed down round table and we'll be back in hopefully full force uh, in terms of uh, numbers next uh, next month at uh, the end of the month and hopefully keep these round tables going keep the tradition alive and uh, yeah it's been a pleasure as always dave yeah it's been great frank and let's see if we can get ash in to do Jacob Marley for us at uh, the Christmas special, eh? that'll be quite good. No, I've really, <laughs> I've really enjoyed it, mate. It was really interesting and surprising how much there was to talk about between the two. It was actually great. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah, we've managed to get well an hour and twenty three minutes there, just hell. the two of us. So we've done all right. Anyway, right. Let's leave it there then. And uh, yeah, I'll catch up with you again yeah, soon, Dave. Cheers. Cheers. See you later. UFO Podcast. Podcast.